Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on Morning Coffee with Stiletto. I'm reviving it, yo. Um, I am going to repost this up on uh, YouTube, which is what I used to do. I currently am a little bit of an electronics uh, issue because my new computer does not have a uh, video. So this is as good as it's going to get, y'all. Okay. So let's get right into the news, and this is, let's start at this, the worst. The worst may be yet to come for cannabis execs, pot users looking to cross Canada-US border, says an expert. Now, if um, you are not aware already, Canada has legalized marijuana or cannabis um, in all forms, and um, so this, uh, you know, it, it, create some kind of controversy, as you know. So uh, we're going to continue and we're going to see what is happening with uh, marijuana. Okay, here we go. Marijuana has been legal in Canada for a month already, but immigration lawyers and cannabis executives say when it comes to getting into the United States, the worst may be yet to come. As Canadians get used to the fact that cannabis is no longer against the law, in our country, some experts fear they will forget the perils that past and present marijuana use still poses for those seeking to cross the Canada and U.S. border. Henry Chang, a Toronto-based immigration lawyer, says he's bracing for a spike in cases of people who end up being banned outright from entering the United States for owning up to using pot. And this is not carrying, this is owning up to it. U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Oh, sorry, let's try that again. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials have made it clear that anyone who admits to using marijuana prior to October 17, the day it became legal in Canada, could be banned from entering the country. And Chang says U.S. law can still keep out anyone deemed to be a drug abuser or addict, or who is diagnosed with a mental disorder with a history of related harmful behavior including alcoholism or marijuana use. Investors and employees to the cannabis or in the cannabis industry too are on shaky ground. One US executive says the risk of being banned for life from crossing the border has become a major preoccupation for his Canadian colleagues. The bigger issue is people thinking the slate has been wiped clean, Chang said in an interview. I think we're going to start seeing more people getting banned, not because of them smoking marijuana after 20, or after October 17, but because they think they have nothing to hide and they blur out that they smoked marijuana when they were 18. That's going to happen because people just don't understand that it's still barred. So um, there was also a uh, problem, I guess, happened in the MJ BizCon. So some Canadians traveling to the MJ BizCon, a major cannabis industry conference last week in Las Vegas, faced additional scrutiny at various border screening points. U.S. border staff at the airport in Toronto steered several attendees through a secondary screening process, said Rob Elliott. Um, Elliott is part of global public affairs. Elliot said he was one of roughly 25 people who were selected for additional screening, several of whom missed their flights, including him. 
He traveled to Las Vegas the morning with that morning without incident. So this is like, hello guys, there are signs and we all have to be aware that yes, we live in an amazing country. I'm speaking with Canadians right now. Uh, we live in an amazing, amazing country that through all our provinces, marijuana is legal. However, not so much in other countries, including our neighbors to the South United States. So please be careful. Just like they can't bring their guns up here, guys, we cannot bring our weed there. And make sure that you know all the rules for that as well. Very interesting development since that has happened, but also not too surprising as, you know, it is what it is. You know, we have to we have to be aware of other countries' laws and prohibitions as well. Next story up, we have a mother that got her son heroin to save his life. Yes, yes this is a true story, y'all. Here we go. So Mary McCullough, McKillop, she, she lives in uh, Cape Breton and um, she has a son named Danny. Danny boy. Danny McKillop. Let's go on with this story. This time last year, Danny McKillop was living homeless in Toronto. He stole anything he could to buy himself fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine. He couldn't have imagined in his wildest dreams the transformation his life would undergo in the months to become, or sorry, in the months to come. But one split-second decision last November triggered a tsunami of change. So picture this guy, and he's had a, a lifetime of, um, I guess, there would be grew up in, uh, grew up in reserve main, reserve mines in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, which is. If those don't know Canada, it's uh, East Coast. So he had struggles growing up with his mother, his father. His dad was uh, apparently extremely violent, alcoholic. Um, other memories from his childhood paint a, paint a darker picture, like visions of his mother trying to protect him while his father raged. Dad was violent, he says, in the home. He would smash up the whole house. I remember calling 911. I was probably four or five years old. His father liked to have a drink, said Mary, his mother. Sometimes he would get angry, especially at the boys, for this, that, or the other thing. He would throw things, and Danny was always terrified. I never wanted Danny to hear it or witness it. Okay, let's just, like, get for real for a minute. That is, first of all, terrible. And I get women... Um, you know, scared of their violent spouses and what have you. But the moment they start turning it around your children and you sit there, sit back and allow it is the moment I got a problem with you. Because regardless what they do, and yes, I get it. What, what they do to in front of their children is absolutely horrendous. It scars them for life. It's sickening. It's a sick mental issue that they actually do have. Now, for the mother in this case, to allow the father to hurt the children, beat them, what have you, like, what? 
Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have a ton of scrutiny on this, mother, because why in hell would you allow your husband to beat on you and your children? I don't know. I think that's, um, it's sick. She's sick in herself. So anyway, let's move on. I digress. Uh, so numbing the pain as he grew up, uh, let's see, at the age of 12, he then switched to, from drinking to marijuana, cocaine, and crack, and eventually to fentanyl and heroin. His mother stood by, stood behind him for years, but it was when his son became violent that she was forced to distance herself. Okay, um, I don't understand why any mom would stand behind a grown-ass man that is uh, addicted to all kinds. I don't, I don't know. Like, I remember one time my uh, friend asked me, what would you do if your, your son called you from, from the jail? And I've said this several times. I've told this to my children and everybody else around me. I have told my children, do not call me. I'm the last person you need to be calling when you go to jail. You need to be calling your lawyer. You need to be calling a friend. You need to be calling like an advice line. You need to be calling somebody else, but you definitely don't want to hear from me because I will have nothing positive to say to you. And I'm being straight up. And uh, Call me a bitch, call me whatever, but I don't think, even as a grown-ass adult, that is still a child, and sometimes they need a timeout. And I am not the person to talk to when you're in a timeout by law is what I'm saying so anyway um he this is what she's saying now he fired a large ashtray which went through the wall inches from my head she said at that point I know he could have killed me had he hit me so that's when I said no I'm not living in fear of any of my children I have, okay, first of all, anybody's being violent and throwing shit in my house, I'm not going to wait till it swings by my face, I'll tell you that. But anyway, so there's a turning point. One day, last November in Toronto, Danny was chatting with Jason Kirkwood, a special constable with Toronto Community Housing. He knew Kirkwood from previous encounters on the streets. Minutes later, Danny noticed money left behind in the ATM, in the ATM machine. Assuming it belonged to Kirkwood, Danny ran down the street calling his name, never suspecting the ramifications of that one decision. Kirkwood took to Facebook to express gratitude for Danny's honesty in that moment. This resulted in Danny's mom seeing the post 2,000 kilometers away. When Mary saw that Danny was in Toronto, she hopped on a plane to come find him. It wasn't long after arriving in the city that she ran into her son on the street. After emotional reunion, Danny agreed to go with his mom to his aunt's place in Hamilton. It was there that another challenge emerged, withdrawal. Uh, Mary couldn't get her son out of bed, let alone to a hospital. The nurse, the sister, her sister said, about the third day he couldn't get out of bed, said Mary. My sister, who is a nurse, said, you're going to kill him with what you're doing to him without medical attention. All right, right there. You have a woman who's been to years and years of school in the medical profession, and she's telling you, girl, you need to get his ass to 
the hospital. And here she says, no, I'm going to go it alone. Wow. Okay, so in Mary and her sister's search for the next step, their close-knit Cape Breton community came to the rescue. A contact from Cape Breton knew someone worked working at a place in Vancouver, BC. So the goal became getting Danny out west because he needed small amounts of heroin. And they did this. With small amounts of heroin, he made it through the long bus ride from Toronto to Calgary. Then for the last leg of the journey, a friend drove him to Vancouver. So after, this is what she said. This is how they got to that point. So after a lot of talking, we decided we needed to get Danny what he needs. This is when he was going through his withdrawal. And what he needs is heroin. So that's what we did. We got him heroin. They acquired enough heroin to get Danny through the worst of his crisis. To keep his body from shutting down. Meanwhile, Mary and her sister were desperately trying to find him a treatment center for Danny. Which happened to be in Calgary. Which is how he made it on the trip she gave him heroin. The hell, woman. What the hell? How this made it onto... Like, is this supposed to be a good story or is this supposed to be it? what? She says at the end of this whole thing, I can't even read the rest of it. So it says, don't ever estimate a mother's love, said Mary. Don't ever because it's unconditional always. Okay, woman, you are whacked out of your tree if you think that I'm going to give my child who is addicted to drugs more drugs. Like, how does that make any sense? Your own sister helped you do this. I hope you guys get criminally prosecute for this shit because you had every opportunity to go to the hospital you call 911 if you don't know oh my son's not gonna make it to the hospital he has no energy really really it's called 911 you get an ambulance we're in canada you don't pay for that shit so i would like to um reiterate this is some bullshit because i heard i actually went and i listened back to this story and um, I listened to him and he was completely selfish like most you know drug addicts are they are selfish and his life he's like you know I chose this over contacting my mom I chose this I chose that he chose this life so the fact that his mother even said you know I did what I could to help him well maybe that's why he's a drug addict and I don't think this is a happy story I think this is some bullshit story that's why I gotta say that Um, so yeah in Canada we have um, not very bright people too terrible 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 i'm gonna take a quick break guys and i'll be back in just a few moments so um in the meantime grab yourself a coffee and make sure you follow me on twitter follow me on instagram snapchat all the social things also find um what i've been up to and what i do behind the scenes on www.stilettosupermom.com yeah it's a thing and um, also check out all my other friends. Follow each other. This is what social media is all about. All right, guys, I'll be right back. International Artisan Convention is hosting the most anticipated show for 2019. 
This show is dedicated to doll artists and doll collectors alike, from the trending Reborn dolls, silicone, and many other one-of-a-kind collectible art dolls. The IAC Doll Show will be held from May 29 to June 1, 2019 at the Best Western Plus Lamplighter Inn. Sign up for classes, contests, and special events at www.iacdollshow.com. Contact info at iacdollshow.com for further details. final story of the day before we get our morning in full gear is about a Canadian folk anthem yeah we have more than one apparently so a Canadian folk legend Wade Hemsworth used to write songs and send them out to the world like little boats he didn't know where they would go or how far they would go but he really liked to see how they would come back how other people interpreted them, explained his great-nephew named Wade Hemsworth as well. Hemsworth said about a year ago he was contacted by an editor from a publishing house who grew up watching the video and wanted to marry the lyrics to the illustrations of Jennifer Phelan to bring a book to life, written in the voice of a woman who loves to take a twirl with a nimble log driver, Hemsworth sent the book Sachets, the song, in a bit of a new direction. The lyrics of the song are about growing up in a village, her parents wishing she would marry someone successful in the traditional sense, a doctor or a merchant or a lawyer, when she really loves the log drivers and dreams, the log drivers, sorry, and dreams of dancing with them. It's exactly the kind of spin Hemsworth says his great-uncle would have loved to see. Known in the family as Big Wade, even after his great-nephew started to tower over him, the songwriter produced fewer than 20 tunes over his 50-year career. Little Wade says his uncle asked him to become the keeper of permissions and royalties for his songs, a a role he's been proud to carry on. Many of those songs have become Canadian anthems of of a sort, capturing pieces of the country's culture and backwoods experience. Some songs are like rockets, they go off, they burst in the air, then they fade away. Hemsworth said, these songs have always been there and they've kind of simmered the whole time. His great uncle spent years working as a surveyor, uh, spending plenty of time in close contact with loggers whose experience he mirrored in his songs. To this day, Hemsworth still hears from people who love the songs or see their own traditions or memories reflected in the lyrics, especially when it comes to families with ties in the timber industry. In a way, it puts music to the stories they have heard about. It helps conjure up memories those people have of their loved ones who've gone and passed on. The song is part of a soundtrack to one of Hemsworth's 
fondest memories too. In 2000, his great uncle traveled to Hamilton to see Hemsworth get married and was surprised when two guests led the crowd in a rousing rendition of the log driver's waltz. He was in a wheelchair hunched over and when he began, began to sing and play, a big smile came across his face and he sat up straighter and conducted a little bit, recalled uh, Hemsworth. The whole congregation sang the chorus. That was such a proud moment. That wedding turned out to be the songwriter's final trip to Ontario before his death in 2002. The song has become an unofficial anthem. Hemsworth said the song has played a special part in his life. Now with a publishing of the children's book, he's looking forward to hearing how it touches other people's too. Other people too. <laughs> Word stiletto. Uh, parents will be reading this book to their kids, so a new sort of people will think of the song in a different way than their parents did. He knows that's something that would have made his great uncle very happy. The fact his songs have meaning beyond themselves was really gratifying to him. So again, this is a great, a great piece of history, really, uh, for Canada. Uh, I loved growing up listening to this and I too share a very very strong piece of connection to this song because growing up here in Canada I was born and raised here but I was also raised by immigrant parents so they had very strong traditional values and beliefs in our culture which were kind of in polar opposite to Canada and what I loved growing up here in Canada is the freedoms that we had we when I grew up, speaking for myself, I won't even say myself growing up, I never really understood or really felt different. You know, when we came, when it came to this song, my friends and my classmates, friends, teachers, we all knew the lyrics to the song. We'd sing it together. And it was really um, a cute way to connect. So the fact that this is going to be carried on for the next generation in a form of literature is amazing. It's come completely full circle and I'm, I can't wait to get this book. I am going to make sure I have it and read it to my children as well. And uh, I did find the soundtrack or, and the music, so I will play it after this recording here. So if you want to listen to the full recording, I have um, released this out on Anchor, anchor.fm. You can also find uh, find it on various distributions like Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Music, or Google Play Music. I'll have all the links uh, below. I'll also be releasing this on YouTube, so if you miss it on the airwaves, then you can catch it there as well. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Have a fantabulous morning and um, we'll just keep this rolling. We'll do this again. Cheers, guys. Have a great morning. Peace.